Welcome to the Clay Young Show. Back-to-back candidates for governor make an appearance on the Clay Young Show here on podcast. 225.com. How are you? Hopefully you're having a great day wherever you are. And thanks for listening to our little show here that's gaining some attention and obviously getting information to the public. Podcast 225.com and on iTunes. And as I was alluding to earlier, last week, as you know, our guest was Lieutenant Governor and current candidate for Governor Jay Darden. This week, our guest will be Public Service Commissioner Scott Angel, who is also a candidate for governor. He is a Republican from Brobridge, Louisiana, 53 years old, and has spent some time in Louisiana politics. He was appointed to the office of Lieutenant Governor briefly after Mitch Landrieu left to become the mayor of New Orleans. We're going to learn about Mr. Angel today where he came from, his upbringing in Brobridge, his philosophy about Louisiana life, why he thinks he would make the best uh, person to be governor, why he thinks he's the best person to become the next governor of Louisiana, some of the challenges that are ahead of whomever is in that position in January, and just get to know the guy. We've never met in person before. This will be our first time having a conversation, and I am looking forward to it. So that's on the way here on the Clay Young Show. As we say every week, spread the word about our show. Tell people about what we're doing. We're getting people in here who are either difference makers or people who are just fascinating, and we want to give you a a peek into who they are as real people, right? So uh, spread the word. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes if you are an Apple user, or just hit us up on the website as my phone chirps in the background here at podcast225.com. Uh, you can email me directly from that site. Just log on there, and then you can reach out to me. All right, we're going to take a quick break and come back and talk with gubernatorial candidate, Public Service Commissioner Scott Angel here on The Clay Young Show. Promote your business or organization on Podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. Posting your company's logo on the podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Welcome back to The Clay Young Show. Welcome back. We're sitting down with Public Service Commissioner Scott Angel, who is a candidate for governor. We started chatting a little bit before I hit the old record record button here, and I said, no, I don't want to waste this, so let's talk. So, first of all, uh, it's it's good to meet you. We've never met before in person, so it's it's good to meet you. You're, you're, you're as down-to-earth as I have heard you are, and I guess a big part of that is being from Bro Bridge, Louisiana. Yeah, you know, being from a small town uh, didn't keep me from thinking I could do big things, but I certainly am in touch with my roots. And That's as, right. As a one, one of nine kids, it was uh, there was really no room to be anything other than down to earth. Listen, man, I tell people all the time, you know, you go places and people look at my suits or they ask, where are you from? <laughs> I'm from a town a lot smaller than this, but I remember my roots and I'm proud of where I came from because I generally believe people from small communities understand the concept of sticking together working for what you want, and not finishing until the job is done. Yeah, you know, and mom and dad owned a small business in, in Brobridge. Mom and dad owned a Ford dealership. And one of the things that you learn when you're in a small town is that every person who comes through the door is important because you don't have the luxury in a small town to pick and choose your customers. You need them all because the market's not big enough. And so I think that there's a there's a, an opportunity of a lesson to be learned there mm-hmm. in terms of inclusion and opportunity to work with folks. So let's talk a little bit about your background. You you grew up in Brobridge. You were a good student from everything that I've ever seen about you. Graduated uh, magna cum laude from uh, ULL. It wasn't ULL then, right? It was USL and it, USL. Was, it was cum laude. I can't, I can't go that far. <laughs> you can't go that far, right. but that's still pretty right. impressive. So coming up, what were some of the principles you learned about life? You talked about your mom and dad and, and them being business owners. Talk you, about some of that. Yeah, look, you know, uh, dad was a conservative guy. He taught me the value of hard work and teamwork and to never, ever feel entitled. 
Mom, on the other hand, was a, you know, a, a, a God-fearing woman who mm-hmm. gave birth to nine children and told me the value of life, that it begins at conception yeah. and it's worth protecting. And, and really, Clay, what mom and dad did together in a, in a very unique way is taught me that if you were going to make a difference in your church, mm-hmm. in your community, in your country, you had to get off the sidelines and you had to get in the playing field. So my entire life, really, my adult life for the last 27 years has been about getting on that playing field called Louisiana. Okay. We're going to call this Carlos bringing your coffee here and you come on in here. She just, she takes care of everything. She's wonderful. Thank you so much. So, <laughs> so you know, the you're right about where we are as Louisianans. And, you know, I've I've known a great number of people who've been elected officials. You know, Darden's a friend of mine Good as man. well. I know uh, David a little bit. I've not Good met God. John Bell Edwards. Good man. Um, and, you know, you get to know people and then there are realities about politics. And then there's a caricature of of elected officials that gets created by many people in the media. And it's not often the case. I just first before we talk about the political side when you're moving along those lines but first of all what, what was your degree in, in at uh, U, usl i have a business degree with a specialty in petroleum land management okay so it that would make sense in an area where petrochem is so big Absolutely. so how did you is, is that what led you to politics because you didn't start off on the public service commission i mean how, how'd you go down that road yeah dad again had a, a business career and he also had a government career my dad was a member of the house of representatives mm-hmm. and uh, quite frankly i i got bid by uh the the public service bug and and I saw my dad as a distinguished honorable family man a businessman uh, do good things and I thought that was a path that that I wanted to explore um, began at an early age of 25 ran for for local government got mm-hmm. elected on to, to the lowest level of service in our area called the police jury yeah and, and I'm proud of that Clay. Yeah. And I, you know one of the things that I'm telling folks I'm a I am the most bottom-up candidate in this race I believe that when you start at the bottom of anything whatever it is and you climb and you scratch and you claw and you seek to ascend to the top of that profession mm-hmm. that when you get there and when you arrive you, you approach problem solving a little different. Right. You, you, you're inclusive because, you know, you didn't know everything coming up. And I don't think we need a governor that knows everything. I, right. mean, I think we need a governor that wants to work with everyone. So now that you, you've, you've kind of matriculated through the process and now as a candidate for governor, what do you think are the biggest issues facing Louisiana? Well, no question. We've got to get our fiscal house in order. Look, mm-hmm. we've been through budget cuts and mid-year budget cuts and fire drill after fire drill. And we know we've been through different governors at different parties, and yet we still haven't been able to get this right. You know, when you take a look at the fact that last year we had the highest non-farm employment we ever had in the history of the state, right. produced the highest gross domestic product we right. ever produced. Now, look, there are pockets of depression, don't mm-hmm. get me wrong, but overall the state, those metrics are very important to measure the economy, and we had a $1.6 billion deficit. Mm-hmm. There is actually something structurally wrong with the way the economy performs and the way our budget and taxation operates. So that's the first thing we got to do. Nothing gets fixed unless we focus on that. And getting the, our fiscal house in order, along those lines, the relationship between the fourth floor of the Capitol, the governor's office, and both chambers of the legislature has been contentious as of late because people don't feel like the governor has been invested in what's best for Louisiana going forward. You know, speak to that. How would you salve some of those wounds that exist between the governor's office and the legislature? Well, I think it first of all starts with an appreciation of all three branches of government. Mm-hmm. And the second thing I would tell you is that there's an old cliche that a good relationship is like a good bank account. You need to make deposits before you make withdrawals. Absolutely. I do not believe that Louisiana has been well served by a fourth floor that seems to be all-powerful and all-being. Yeah. I think the first floor where the legislature meets is equally as important. You can't you can't change tax policy, and you can't mm-hmm. change fiscal policy, and you can't change budget policy in the governor's office. Oh, right. you can lead, sure right. you can right. lead, but it takes you know either a majority or two thirds of the legislature to go along. So one of the things I'm making it very clear again, as the son of a former legislator, I understand how important the legislative branch is. Mm-hmm. I won't dictate to the legislature. I will certainly lead, but I will work and I will listen. I believe the 144 members represent people across the state, and they've right. got good ideas as well. And depending. Depending on where you are, the issues are different. I mean, my company does business here 
down in New Orleans. I was just up in Shreveport last week, and you see the difference depending on which side of the Red River you're on between Bossier and Shreveport. But where they are is, you know, they get a lot of that East Texas money coming over, but they really want to invest in technology. They want to keep younger people there. They want to develop the downtown in Bossier so they can keep people there. Down in New Orleans, the recovery after Katrina has been absolutely phenomenal in 10 years. But here in the Capital City region, the public education system is something that has been sort of an albatross for the Baton Rouge area. It's running people to Ascension and Livingston Parish and over to Central in the northern part of the parish. When you walk across the state, I'd like you to talk with me about some of the areas you've been in, mm-hmm. some of the issues you've seen them face, and why you are best equipped to go in and handle those issues depending on where you are. Well, we've been obviously all across the state, and you're right when you describe. But one of the things that I would tell you is that what Louisianians want, Louisianians want more than anything, they want to do well for their families. Yeah. They want job opportunities, and they believe that job opportunities come with, I believe, an educational opportunity. Mm-hmm. Now, you're exactly right. You know, the East Baton Rouge Parish system has struggled and has pushed people uh, to other parts of, of neighboring parishes. And one of the things I think we need to embrace is to understand that it's not a one-size-fits-all. That's right. You know, look, public school, I'm for, I'm for great public schools. Absolutely. I'm for great charter schools. Yeah. I'm for great home schools. Yeah. I'm for great private schools. And what you kind of sense is that we kind of went through a direction, Clay, in, in Louisiana, perhaps in America, where we created two classes of citizens. We created a class of citizen that went to college Mm -hmm. and one that didn't. And I think it's wrong. Mm -hmm. I think it's not served us well. Because when you take a look right now in Louisiana, the experts tell us that 60% of the jobs that we're going to create over the next decade will require more than a high school diploma, but less than a four-year degree. Mm -hmm. We need to bring glamour to those jobs. We need to elevate and celebrate those jobs. You know, folks who are pipe fitters and, Absolutely. and welders. Those folks are doing hard work and we need to understand that it's okay to do those kind of jobs. Listen, there are people, we're, we're you know, both being from rural areas, there are people who get out of high school, go and uh, get their certification in welding and can walk into a job and in a couple of years make $80,000 as a welder or a pipe fitter or someone who's a master mechanic someplace. You're right. Preparing, we just kids need to be able to earn a living. Absolutely, the way we ought to judge success is not about what you do, but how you take care of your family. That's exactly right. right. And you know, one of the things that I'm very excited about, I'm going all in on workforce development. My Mm -hmm. signature agenda item is going to be workforce development. You know, when you take again a look at the whole college opportunity, I think the last number I saw was about two thirds of the kids that graduate from high school in Louisiana are not even eligible Mm -hmm. to attend one of our four year universities because of our admission requirements. Mm -hmm. What are we doing with those two thirds? What are we doing? Are we are we making community and technical college so available to Mm -hmm. them if we know that's where the jobs are? And look, I I certainly don't want to dumb down anything here. Right. Everybody ought to have a chance to go to college, but not everybody needs to go to college. Or wants to. Right. And we need to celebrate and elevate those skills where folks can go. And and, and, and as I say from time to time, those folks help pull the wagon. (laughs) They they are not riding in the wagon. They are help pulling the wagon. They are doing great for their families. And and so I'm I'm going all in. Look, I think we need to put our community and technical college on steroids. I think we need weekend programs, nighttime programs, seven and seven programs. I think we got to understand that you know the traditional family has uh, you know in a lot of ways has broken down. If we got if we've got to set up divorced parents, if you would, uh, and and custody is seven days with one parent and seven days with another parent, then I think we need to have a an opportunity for one of those parents to enroll in a community college where they're going to school for seven days and then they're taking care of their kids for seven. Days. And they're jumping back into it. Hey, look, it might take them 24 months mm-hmm. to get that one-year certificate. I get it. But that's what it takes. You know, in the past in Louisiana, so many of the jobs that we created required a strong back. Right. Okay. Yeah. We know through technology good that way of saying it. we know through technology that those kind of opportunities are getting less and less right. and less. But it doesn't necessarily mean that everybody has to go to college, but everybody needs to work. Now, you, you brought up the schools and what's going on. And I know that you have been either indifferent or against the idea of common core state standards. Right. And my position on it is I understand the acrimony behind common core now because of the way that it was rolled out and because of all of the national attention that it got. Mm-hmm. The reason why I think that the conversation about standards is so necessary is because we've got kids graduating high school who can't read, 
who can't speak the English language, who are not proficient at simple mathematics. And that makes them ill-equipped to do even the most basic entry-level job. So I think the idea of us having state standards, I think that's a good idea to have and consistent. I don't think an A in Louisiana should be worth a C- minus or a D in some other state. I agree with you. I totally agree with you. But one of the things I would say is that Common Core itself does not have a monopoly on high standards. I would agree with that. We didn't even know what Common Core was five years ago. And I would all agree. of a sudden, the Kool-Aid started being served. I and would people agree. were drinking the Kool-Aid. So I would agree. I will, I'm with you all the way that a kid in Louisiana can learn as much as a kid from New York Absolutely. as California. And we need to push them. Mm-hmm. And we need to drive them. But, you know, again, I look at, I look at the state of Massachusetts, the number one K-12 through state in the union. Yeah. And they withdrew from Common Core. Mm-hmm. You know, we often talk about Texas, a robust economy. They never joined. 14 of the 26 states that Louisiana was part of the consortium actually have withdrawn. So I'm for high standards. Make no mistake. Well, let me that. ask this question, though. But you, you're right about Massachusetts, about Texas and some of these other areas. They're outperforming us anyway. Mm-hmm. So the, the point is not. W- w- listen. When you're able to afford anything you want, when you give something expensive away, it's not that big of a deal. It hurts more when you're giving it away and you can barely afford it in the first place. Here in Louisiana, the schools, depending on where you are, are not getting it done for whatever reason. And I'm not casting aspersions on the people in the systems. We've got great teachers in Louisiana, great administrators. But the truth is some of the school systems are poor. Massachusetts can afford it because they've got so much more to work with. We don't. So what is the answer? Because this thing has been so politicized that we can barely even have a conversation about it without it becoming left versus right, Republican versus Democrat, Obama versus whoever. Let's just have the conversation about how we give kids the best shot at a good education. Right. So this is what I believe. I believe that the very people, you know, that we need for Common Core to work with Mm -hmm. be the teachers don't believe that it can. Now, I have, I have interviewed teachers, I've interviewed school board members and parents and students along the way. I didn't come to my conclusion on where I am on Common Core Life. Sure. I did it through a variety of research. I saw where the, the superintendent, the past superintendent of the year over in West Feliciana Parish has recently come out and said that the big issue with Common Core was the way we rolled it out. So Alice if you don't, Milton. Yeah, yeah, great guy. Mm-hmm. If you don't have confidence, if we don't instill confidence in the things that we do mm-hmm. and allow the folks who have to distribute the system, if you would, the teachers, to feel that confidence, then I just don't think that you can actually make that difference. So I think what the legislature did, calling a timeout, going through the compromise, going back, if you would, to the drawing board and getting all these comments, we'll come out of that with something that perhaps we can build some confidence and then move forward. Can the case be made, though, that the way that it was handled by the politicians crippled the effectiveness of it. In other words, the way that it was delivered to the public, the way the policy rollout went, that's not the fault of the teachers, the parents, or the students. But had that been done differently, I believe the conversation would be a lot different about it now. Is that fair? I don't think you, I don't think that a thing you said there is incorrect. I would agree with you. And I would also say this, you know, if you're a teacher in Louisiana, you got to wonder. Before Common Core was kind of being talked about, your biggest challenge was your students. Yeah. After Common Core was being talked about, your biggest challenge was the elected officials Mm -hmm. in Baton Rouge and Washington. Mm -hmm. You're like, who's running this place? Right. You know, we get an order on on one day and the structures on Monday, on Tuesday. Usually we're changing, and on Wednesday it's something else. And the whole conversation, you're right, did kind of lead to some, 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 some concern. But that goes back to the very beginning. If the rollout didn't include teachers, mm-hmm. didn't seek Louisiana teacher input, then you're going to get this I, kind of I, response. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And, you know, would you support John White returning? I think John has done a good job in some areas. I think he's not done a good job in some other areas. What are those up and down areas? The well, areas no, where he's been good, the I, areas that, where you think he hasn't yeah, been? Yeah, I think John, from a policies perspective, is you know works hard and, and has some bright ideas. I, I think that his communication with some of the teachers across the state uh, lead to them to believe that he's not fighting for them, that he doesn't understand what they go through. I don't necessarily think all of that is true, but right. I think that there's a feeling out there. I think John is an honorable man. But look, the reality of it all is running for governor is not about handing out jobs uh, to highly uh, highly appointed officials. Running for governor is about creating jobs. So mm-hmm. I'm going to leave uh, to Bessie and to the appropriate folks, and we'll have that discussion about John if I'm elected governor. Uh, right now, it's about uh, you know instilling in, in folks across Louisiana the confidence that they need to elect me. So let's talk about the uh, that aspect of it. 
business. Business often feels left out in Louisiana. And, and, and let me dial it down even more. Small business. I don't know that we've done a great job over the last, say, 15 years of creating an atmosphere where it's exciting to start a business here, right? Uh, I do think that there are pockets of Louisiana where you go after small businesses, but a lot of young people crossing the stage with a business degree who want to own their own slice of the pie, if you will, are not thinking about doing it here. They want to go other places. And I think Louisiana is a great place to have a business. What do you do about that? How, how do you address small businesses and make it easier for someone to start a business and survive in this state? Well, the first thing we got to understand is that regulation, all over-regulation, has in some cases led to strangulation. Mm-hmm. And so what I said at the NFIB forum when I spoke is that on my first day I would sign an executive order that would require every state agency to fully vet and understand uh, that when they impose a regulation, that what is the time frame associated with complying with that mm-hmm. regulation, have it out there from a public hearing standpoint. Because I want to talk about something called pea gravel regulation. And that word is P-E-A, pea gravel. You know pea gravel associated in the rock yard. And they're real small gravel. Well, let me tell you what I think happens, Clay, in an unintended consequence. And that's why this executive order, I think, would kind of rein that in. Let me tell you what happens. You know, along comes someone, and they're traveling down the path, and they've got a, 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 a book sack or a knapsack if you would, on their back. And along comes a regulator, and a regulator takes his own pea gravel and puts it in that back sack. And you know what? That That's fine. That's not a whole bunch of weight, and that person just keeps on going. And as that person is going down that path, here comes another regulator from a different group and a different agency dropping another pea gravel in there. Yeah. And what I call pea gravel regulation, over time it accumulates and it aggregates, and the back sack gets so heavy and it weighs you down that you tend to give up and say, you know what, I'm not doing it. So we've got to avoid pea gravel regulation. How do you do that in a state where handouts and, you know, the NGOs and all of the people on the dole, that role has gotten so much longer over the years. How do you start cutting off those gravy trains without being burned at the stake? Here in Louisiana. Well, look, I think leadership is tough. And I think that we've got a, you know, people ask me if we got a spending problem, we got a revenue problem. I think we got a priority problem. Mm. You know, look, I think some NGOs do a great job of delivering yeah, service. Absolutely. And if we can measure that service and we can have it accountable and we can have metrics and we can have transparency, I think it's great. I don't think that government needs to provide every service. I think right. some NGOs do a great job. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've got to have a sense of transparency around that. And I think if we're able to do that, uh, then we can begin again to instill confidence. So much about government is is confidence in my mind and it takes leadership that's out there every day waking up every day you know keeping your eye focused on the ball and doing those kind of things and my career is marked by that you know again I started at a very early age I served 12 years as an elected member of the police jury became mm-hmm. our parish's first parish president mm-hmm. did some amazing things took a small sleepy parish turned it into the second fastest growing parish in my region you know when I became secretary of natural resources one of the things I noticed Clay I noticed that the drilling rig count was up in Texas. It was up in Oklahoma. It was actually up in America, and at the same time, same time, it was down in Louisiana. That told me that people were investing in oil and gas industry, but not in this province. Mm-hmm. I then had to travel and listen and learn. I went to Houston and Dallas and Oklahoma and New Orleans and Lafayette and Shreveport and Monroe, where the drill bid dollars originate in this state. And what I learned is that our permitting system in the state had gone awry. We had basically put people in line for so long. And one of the things that we needed to recognize is that, you know, this was not about Exxon and Chevron. Exxon and Chevron can drill a well anywhere in the world, and, oh, they, yeah. of, and they often do. Yep. But our small business people here, you know, they can't do that. And we changed that, and I'm so proud of the way we did it because we didn't relax environmental stewardship uh, standards. I happen to come from a generation of Louisianians that believe that, you know, clean, uh, green grass and clean air is, is, is not negotiable. And I want it. And, and, and I, want, I want clean water and all those good things, too. So uh, we were able to do that in, in an environmental correct way. And, and, again, that's about small business people here in this state. I think leadership is, again, is about being engaged, showing up. You know, I think there was some, 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 some quote I, I, I read where, you know, you can't lead where you don't go. Right. And I, I believe that's true. Well, you know, Louisiana right now, it, it, like I talked about with small businesses and creating an atmosphere where we keep people. I asked Jay Darden this question. I have an intern who just graduated from UNO, and she has a degree in film. 
and is deciding what she wants to do. And I said this to him, and I'll ask you the same question. How do we keep them here? Well, how do we keep how do we keep them in Louisiana? Well, first of all, we have to have tax and fiscal policy that's responsible. Now, there's a reason the legislature did what they did last year, and that's because they had to react because we didn't have a system. I want to talk for a second about this, Clay. You know, one of the things that we do not have in this state, we give away seven and a half billion dollars in terms of tax credits and exemptions a year, seven and a half billion. Some of them very good, some of them not so good. But you'd be surprised as Louisianians across the state are finding out when I'm talking to them. We have not a single process, not a single process anywhere in the books that requires us to review the tax credits and exemptions that we give away to make sure that we are actually getting mm -hmm. what we're paying for, that we are stimulating what we think we're, what we should be stimulating. And, you know, it, it, it's sad. You know, if, 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 if DOTD entered into a contract to build a $10 million bridge and we only got $5 million worth of bridge for it, you would expect someone to, to bring charges or mm -hmm. what's the case, right? Well, when it comes to our tax credits and exemptions, we don't review them on a regular periodic basis. We need to do that. You know, in 1989, Buddy Roma had something called the Revenue Estimating Conference, which right. went into the acronym of the REC. Mm -hmm. Good policy. What I think we now need is the, the counterpart to the REC, what I'm calling the ERC, the Exemption Review Conference. Okay. Let's put the light. Let's check it out. Let's make sure they're providing benefits. Now, when it comes to the movie tax credits, look, what ended up happening in this last legislative session, it's like a water balloon. Take a water balloon, and when you squeeze a water balloon on one end, what happens? The water goes somewhere else. <laughs> that's right. And that's how the legislature looked at this last year. They had a problem. They had to start squeezing the water balloon, and when they squeezed it on one end to help an area that they thought needed, it ended up being uh, put on the backs of, of the movie folks. Mm -hmm. Now, just think, just think over the last several years, had we had an independent report done by an exemption review conference that would have yielded important independent data on how important this, this industry is, right. I think the decisions would have been much different. Hmm. It's interesting. Why weren't those dialogues going on then? I mean, when I talked with Patrick Mulhern, who uh, runs Celtic Studios down the, down the road from here, he's like, the deal is not all bad. I mean, it's a, it's a $180 million cap. The part that is so bothersome to members of that industry is that it's retroactive. So it's not going forward. Do you believe that there were conversations going on between industry people and the policymakers or did the policymakers just say we need to do something about this because we're not getting a return on investment? Here's the idea. Let's do it. I don't think anybody knew they were getting a return. And that's the sad thing. What people looked at was we need some money. Let's mm -hmm. go get it over here, regardless of the return on investment. And that's what's sad. You know, tax credits and tax rebates ought to not be emotional. We ought not fall in love right. with tax credits. Right. Tax credits are an investment of right. the people of Louisiana. That's right. And we ought to get a return on investment. And, you know, whether you love movies or you don't love movies ought not be because you don't get elected to make tax policy <laughs> based on love. No. You get it to build a better state. So the problem is when we got to the legislative session, it was too late at that point to, to produce this report. But I tell you, if we had an exemption review conference that, again, would periodically look at these things, and then when we would get, gather around the campfire, mm -hmm. we would have this data. It was, look, it was a, it was a fire drill this last session, yeah. and people were just looking to avoid closures of hospitals and closures of universities, yeah. and they found the lowest hanging fruit. That's right. Now, that's not smart. Yeah. That got us through you know, a period. Because it's coming back again. Absolutely. So the, the budget for Louisiana has grown by billions in just the last decade. I mean, we're going to we're going to come to a place where we start at the new millennium with a number and less than 25 years in, it's going to be twice as much what we're spending in terms of terms of the state's operating budget. The FEMA Katrina money is gone. By and large, it's gone. But if you ask the average Louisiana, do you think we're getting twice as much quality for a nearly twice as big budget. I think most of them would say, hell no, we're not. Mm -hmm. So that's a problem, right? Absolutely. We're, we, the, government is the state government is taking more from us and we're not, getting, we're not getting twice as much as a result. Justify that for me, reconcile those two realities. Well, first of all, uh, not to disagree, but, but I guess to kind of help put it, frame the, the discussion. When we talk about uh, the, the, the government growing, state government growing, much of that has been 
on the federal dollars that have come. Oh, in. sure. Right. I mean, but, but right. that, and, that, and they are they are real dollars. So let me make sure. Thank you for that. For that that's a that's a good caveat. Yes, there are there have been more federal dollars coming into Louisiana, and we've lost some because some of the money we got after the storm is no longer in the budget. But the bottom line reality is there's more money Absolutely. in the operating budget. Absolutely. That's the point I'm making. Right. And so because that is so much larger, it's like, what are we getting for it? And the federal money, by and large, was coming to prop up parts of Louisiana's economy, dealing with health care and, and, and the like. But it doesn't feel like it's better. And, and, the, and you mentioned the issue. When we take a look at health care, in 2005, Health care, and I'm going on memory right here, I think health care represented about uh, 14% of our state general fund. Mm-hmm. It now represents about 22% of our state general fund. So health care delivery services, uh, primarily in the Medicaid area, uh, costs have continued to go up over the last 10 years. Yeah. And you're right, it's hard to feel... Uh, <clears throat> That that you know roads are getting better That's or right. schools are getting better. The amount of money that we're spending on healthcare mm-hmm. has ballooned incredible, and the population's but, about the same yeah. as it was with, at, around Katrina, maybe even slightly less around that four and a half million number. So it's it doesn't make sense. Well, we have a sick population. We have a we have an obese population. We're last in too many of the numbers that that that, that matter. Yeah, and so you know if you if you a working guy that gets up every day and you have your own health insurance mm-hmm. and you go on to your doctor and your hospital. And someone in your neighbor is perhaps not in that position and is relying on on state to provide services. You don't necessarily see the benefit, right? Uh-huh. You don't feel that benefit every day. So yeah, you do get this situation where you see the report where the budget is growing, and you're right. like, "Well, it's, I'm not getting any any of that." <laughs> That's right. So look, we healthcare costs are a big issue. I, I, you know, we have to be certain that that healthcare costs don't run us into uh, our inability to do roads and state parks and libraries and quality of life issues, because all those things are important. But one of the things that we've done this last several years is that when you take a look at the fact that we have $7.5 billion worth of tax credits Mm -hmm. and exemptions, and again, we don't review them, what we were forced to do, or the state was forced to do, or what they did, I should say, is other than this last session, we passed that along the backs of two classes of people, our college students. Yeah. And our healthcare providers yeah. by, by slashing them. Yep. So, you know, we've got to have a holistic approach when you take a look at the fact that we've got this high non farm employment, which is good. We've got this high gross domestic product, which is good. And we got a $1.6 billion deficit. Something is structurally wrong no with question. the way we operate the budget and the way our economy performs. Well, we've got to fix that. What do you think about it? Governor Jindal used on several occasions one time money for recurring issues. And it was talked about a lot. And we didn't address what you're saying is we didn't address structurally the way we handle our money. And we've got this debt that's going to appear every year. And you're able to go into these one time pits to get some money to cover it. But after a while, you clean the pit. There's nothing left in there. And this thing still comes every year going in next year. Whoever the governor is going to be, and I know you're going in thinking it's going to be you, you're going to start the year making people angry because you're going to have to. Absolutely. And I've been there before as a parish president, inheriting a tough situation and making it better and making it prosper by making tough decisions. You know, look, you're absolutely right. You know, what we've done by as kids, I recall, again, being one of nine kids, <laughs> go, go and shake the, the, the sofa cushions, right? right For right. a quarter nickel and whatnot. And we've done that. We've done that. You know, what happens when government, government takes the path of least resistance. Yeah. So the path of least resistance in 2008 was to to, to, to return some of the surplus money uh, in the form of reverse and stelly. That was the first thing that was mm-hmm. done. The, the next path of least resistance was to cut the budget. The next path of least resistance was to cut the budget and to sweep funds of these one-time funds. And the legislature went along with it. Yeah, you know? they did. And, 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 and now we swept all we can. Mm-hmm. We've, we've, we went into every seat, sofa cushion we could. Mm-hmm. There's no more opportunity to do that. And I would say to you, unfortunately, that's not a bad thing, because what it means is that we're now going to have to deal no question. with the hard things of Fish or cut bait. That's it, brother. You got it. You <laughs> fish got or, it. Fish uh, or uh, cut uh, bait. That's a great, great slogan. <laughs> so, so point P. Parrish. You got so, it. Can't, can't, can't take us out of, out of the country. Can't, can't huh? take. So let, let's, talking about 
the way things are going now. You have been tied to Governor Jindal. Now, look, I, I, this is our first time meeting, and I've known Bobby a little while. I can't really see that now sitting here talking with you style-wise. What do you think about people who say you're the Jindal candidate? What's well, your response to that? What I would say is this, is that I got elected the first mm-hmm. time before Bobby had a driver's license. Okay, I got elected at age 25 before Bobby had a driver's license. I have worked and scratched and clawed for Louisiana my entire life. Right. I have worked for two governors. Mm-hmm. I got brought to Baton Rouge by Governor Blanco. That's I'm right. the only Department of Natural Resources Secretary in the history of the state to serve two governors. Right. That speaks to my competence and mm-hmm. not my connections about what I know, know and not who I know. Look, I get it. People are going to throw mud against you and all sure. and so forth. But I would say this. I would say this. You know, we got a we got a defensive coordinator right now at LSU that just came from Alabama, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Are we saying, well, wait a minute? He comes from he comes from the enemy. You know, we got a talented man that we brought over here to help right. help, and he came from Alabama of all right. places, right? right? So look, we all got to work for somebody, and right. we all have. But you know, I, I believe, and I, I would like to compare being being governor to being being a head coach in the NFL. And I would say this way, Clay. No head coach in the NFL ever becomes a head coach on his first day. Mm-hmm. He works for someone else. He listens. He learns. He disagrees. And at a certain point in time, when he becomes the head coach of his organization, he gets to call and run the plays. That's right. And that's what I do. I, look, I've listened and I've learned. Some of I've agreed with. Some of I've disagreed with. And I'm. Pl- I'm Tell gonna- me about that. Some of the differences you see between. You've talked about some things without saying it, but some things that you would do differently than have taken place over the last, you know, seven and three quarter years. Look, for me it's a Louisiana every time, all the time. Like I say back home, say pour, pour moi c'est la Louisiane chaque fois tous les temps, which means for me it's a Louisiana every time, all the time. Très and bien. So, yeah, I'm, so I'm focused here. I'm focused here. Uh, look, I, I, you know, the, the, the governor's travel policy, I think, has has led to uh, some 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 issues in the state. Yeah. Again, you got to be here yeah. uh, to lead. Uh, and, and, and look, my style is engagement. Yeah. I don't get I don't get my energy from policy. Mm-hmm. I get my energy from people. And as I've said before, you know, what I believe we need is a governor who understands that when you work on policy all night, You've got to understand that it affects people all day. Yeah. And my upbringing as a, you know, part of a large family in a small town, I get people. And, and, and so I think what's radically different about me uh, than, quite frankly, most governors is the fact that, you know, I go to people. I don't have people come to me. Mm-hmm. I'd rather be out visiting with folks, you know, rather than having a town hall meeting. I'd rather go talk to someone in their living room in their front porch about sure. what, what's causing their issues. And I just think that I, I understand um, that no governor, not this governor, not the previous governor, and not the next governor has a monopoly on the great ideas. I think the great ideas come from so many places. Oh, yeah. You just give people a seat at the table. When Let's talk about, you know, you switched from being a Democrat to a Republican. That's something that's going on a lot right now. Why? I mean, you, your policy has been conservative, checking the way that you've governed even as an elected official, but why the party switch? So in 2010, I, yeah. you, you recall, I was asked to be the interim lieutenant governor. That's right. So when Mitch Landrieu got elected as mayor of New Orleans, I was appointed and confirmed by the legislature to be the interim lieutenant governor. And then we were on the 8th, 10th, 15th day, if you would, of the BP oil spill, and I was tasked with the responsibility soon thereafter to get the drilling moratorium that was imposed by the White House right. lifted. Yeah. Now, that was a tough task. And yeah. one of the things I continued to do, I went up to Washington yeah. several times, several times, meeting with a variety of folks. That moratorium was bad. Ba- bad, bad stuff. Thing you know, look, the, 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 like I said recently, the oil spill made us sad. Mm-hmm. The moratorium made us mad. Oh yeah, you know. And so I was, I was tasked as the point man for Louisiana to get in this six-month drilling moratorium lifted. I went up to Washington several, several times. It became abundantly clear to me. It became abundantly clear to me that there was a national bias by national Democrats against a hydrocarbon industry, an industry that mm-hmm. I believe was good for America. Absolutely, that helped create jobs. Yep. And at that point in time, I, I knew that I could not continue to lead the efforts for Louisiana on getting this drilling moratorium lifted if the very people who I was working with, trying to negotiate with, had a bias against the industry. So 
on that issue and on that moment, my wife and I talked about it and said it was time for us to switch parties. When you look at Louisiana now, there's not a single statewide elected Democrat. You had a couple people elected as Democrats, but who changed to Republican. Uh, Buddy Caldwell did. Uh, Treasurer uh, John Kennedy was a Democrat, became a Republican. Why do you think it that I mean, I know there are trends, ebbs and flows that happens that happen in states, but Louisiana may be the reddest state in the country right now. Why do you think that is? Even with with having almost twice as many registered Democrats than Republicans in the in the electorate. Yeah, I think people begin to think that government can't be everything to everybody, that there's a place for government to do some of the things that folks can't do themselves, and that's like building roads and universities mm-hmm. and providing adequate health care. But, but I believe that at Louisiana is, uh, is following the trend that government that works closest to the people works best, uh, smaller government, conservative government works well. And look, I don't believe anybody has all the answers, right. but I do believe that's the trend, and I think that Louisiana is in that, in that cycle right now. You'd have to work, obviously, with the mayors of some of these communities around the state across all 60-plus parishes and you know, in the small cities, but let's take, take some of the larger ones we hadn't talked about. In New Orleans right now, Mitch is working to deal with the crime issue down there as, as we speak. And Baton Rouge has these spikes that come and go as it relates to crime. What do we do about that? Well, look, we can't have a great Louisiana if we don't have a safe Louisiana. Yeah. And not only for our families. I mean, certainly our families. And, you know, as the father of five kids, I'm always worried about my kids. And, 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 and you as well, we're yeah. worried about your family yeah. as well. Yeah. You know, in addition to our families, when you take a look at the fact that 27 million people a year visit this state, mm-hmm. and many of them are coming into New Orleans originally and then taking side trips out and to, to other parts of the state, you know, folks uh, are not going to, 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 to continue to spend those tourism dollars uh, in an area where they, they don't feel safe. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just, you know, when you have a choice, that matters, right? And then our whole economics. I mean, you know, look, certainly we need to have organic growth from, from, from our own families sure. and our own people in Louisiana, but we also continue to have to attract Wall Street investment here. And one of the ways we do that is we gotta we gotta be okay on some metrics. We gotta have metrics that, from a quality of life standpoint, yeah. show that you know folks who bring their executives here, their, their families safe. are gonna be safe, <laughs> yeah. right? And, and, yeah. and look, I, you know, I think the number one thing that we need to do, and I said it earlier, I think that a good social program is a good job, yeah. and I think a good job starts with opportunity for education, and yeah. that's why I'm going all in. I think we can. You know, the hardest thing that we, if we got, if, if you and I were on the board of directors of something called Louisiana LLC, mm-hmm. and we began to think about how we can make radical changes to Louisiana, you a smart guy and you would say, you know what we need to do? We need to have job opportunities. Yeah. And then, and then, and then somebody would say, well, how do we have those job opportunities? And then the next person would say, well, if we got them, how will we train our people? The reality is the hardest thing to do is to actually create those jobs. I looked on the, the, the workforce development website. Uh, yesterday, there are 45,000 job openings in Louisiana right yeah. now. Yeah, What we've got to do is make it abundantly clear that, number one, we have a high expectation that if you are an able-bodied person, you're going to work. Mm-hmm. Number two, we're going to give you an opportunity to go to school. We're going to go all in on workforce development. But with that comes a responsibility. You know, one of the things I want to share with you for a second, I was over in Lake Charles. This is, this is interesting. Something we've got to change. You know, right now, if, if, if you go, if you, if you come from a disadvantaged background and you apply for uh, admission into a community college, a technical college, the tuition can be paid uh, any number of ways. If you're from an economic you know, disadvantaged situation, you can get a Pell Grant or you can get a loan, right? Pell Grant, you don't have to pay back. Loan, you've got to. There are so many opportunities in the state, however, that are not for pursuing a degree, if you would, Mm because the only way you can get a Pell Grant or loan is if you're actually pursuing a degree. Right. So what's happening right now in many parts of Louisiana with some of the businesses that we recruited, they are going to our community colleges and asking them to teach not a degree, but a industry certification. That industry certification may be a 24-week program, yet that's not eligible for a Pell Grant. So some of our most economically disadvantaged Mm. kids... Okay, who are going to become a statistic unless yeah. we can get them a route to an education. Poor kids who are Poor. either going to be on entitlement or possibly in the prison system or it. whatever. You yeah. got it. And yet those folks who might be really able to go do a 24-week right. program, 
they in a chicken and egg situation because they can't afford the tuition. Help me with okay? that with government all the time. I it nothing just ticks me off more than the way that it's created. It's like okay. We we say we need to create opportunities for people to work because I think able-bodied people ought to have a job. Right, absolutely. But then you 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 cut their legs out from under them, mm-hmm. and and kids who are growing up in tough situations, poor houses, you know, not much parental involvement. They're in tough neighborhoods. We ought to give them a way to earn their way out of that situation and not give them a check that makes them comfortable being there. Absolutely, we ought not we we ought not trap people to aspire for that government check. Absolutely. You know, life is so much better. Absolutely. Life is, but in a lot of ways, we, we failed the system and we, we put people to, in a situation where they aspire mm-hmm. to that. We got to do more. But getting back to that, that industry certification, one of the things that I would say we would do again, you know, I understand that the tuition associated with that is about a $4,000 deal. What I think we ought to do is look at some of the 8G funds, and I'm not talking about destroying the corpus because right. that, that, that fund lays an egg every year, and we need to keep that, that egg laid. But what if we went to a pilot program and we looked at the return on investment that we are making with having those 8G funds invested in the marketplace and safe investments? I don't know what it is, 5%, 6%, whatever it is. What if we went to a kid? What if we went to a kid? Uh, who has some ability, mm-hmm. but is in that chicken and egg situation, mm-hmm. wants an industry certification, and we say, I tell you what we're going to do. We're going to loan you that $4,000 out of this fund. You're going to have to pay it back over a four-year period of time. We're going to charge you interest so the fund doesn't lose it. We're going to help you. we got 45,000 jobs. We're going to help place you. You may have to move, but mm-hmm. we're going to help place you. And what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to allow you to mortgage your driver's license. We're going to allow you to we're gonna pass a law that says that if you don't pay us back, we're going to suspend your driver's license. Mm. We're going we're gonna to take a little bit of leap of faith with you. We're going to have a little bit of security. And guess what I want to tell that kid? I don't want him to pay me back. I don't want him to pay the state back because I'm trying to get money from him. I want him to pay that money back to the state so I can take care of his little brother or his little sister that's coming right behind him. And then we can keep on keeping on. And teach people the principle of earning yourself out of a bad situation. It's possible. I mean, and it's one of the things that makes this part of the world so special is that you have the stories of people who come from nothing who were able to build something for themselves, you know, just because you have to. And I don't think we, kids don't see that anymore with with all the social media and the reality shows. They think, you know, when you're eight years old, you deserve to be driving around in a Maserati. Right. You know, I, I need one of those. Like, hell no, you don't need one of those. You right. don't even know what it costs. Right. So that's right. Cha- changing the, 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 the paradigm there. Another thing, this thing in New Orleans, and, and it's always been one of my pet peeves is that we don't issues of race. We don't talk about them like adults. Mm-hmm. There's always so much screaming back and forth. And I think that people are more alike than they're different. And we waste too much time talking about silly differences that don't amount to much. On that subject, this thing down in New Orleans with Mitch now addressing the uh, the monuments, the Lee Monument, the Beauregard Monument, talking about Jefferson Davis. And, and to me, uh, there is history that goes along with it. But you said... I think you wanted to. It should be left up to the city officials to decide what they wanted to do with that. Correct. I said it should be left up to the cities. I di- to the cities. I disagree with what they are doing. Yeah. Um, you know, look, I don't believe that a Confederate flag ought to fly over any state building. Sure, uh, I agree. At the same time, I would say that we cannot rewrite history. No. Uh, I don't know how far you continue to go with this thing, uh, but but certainly I believe that what is at play is is uh, an attempt uh, at. Uh, solving a political correctness yeah, issue. Yeah. You know, there are, I believe, 10 United States of America military camps or forts that are named after either Confederate generals or, in one case, a Confederate colonel. Mm-hmm. Fort Bragg, mm-hmm. Fort Hood, yeah. Fort Lee, yeah. Camp Beauregard. Yep. Um, and the federal government has responded and said that, you know, we're not entertaining the idea that we're going to have to change right. the names of those. Um, you know, I talk to folks and folks uh, tell me that they would pass by that Robert E. Lee conf- uh, monument and they never looked at it, uh, understood what it was, didn't worry about it. It was just something there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of problems in New Orleans. Yeah. A lot of problems in New Orleans. I, I, I don't think this monument is one of the top 100. I would agree with you the way you said it. I think that there are issues down there, starting with crime 
and infrastructure. And on the infrastructure front, they're addressing a lot of it. But there are some areas of the city that look exactly the way it did on the 30th of August in 2005, with the exception of the water being gone. Some parts of New Orleans really need attention. I, I, I don't know why this came up. I, I think people have a right to the discussion because I believe in that. I, people who disagree with me don't bother me at all. As Absolutely. long as we can do it as adults, it's fine. Sure. Uh, where do you think all of this is headed? Because it doesn't look as though this movement is going away. Yeah, and I think that's the issue is that, you know, we have three parishes in the state that are named after Confederate folks. We've mm-hmm. got Allen, we got Beauregard, mm-hmm. we got Jefferson Davis. Yeah. I mean, the, the phrase LSU fighting tigers, fighting tigers is a brand of uh, a, a band of, of Confederate warriors, yeah, right? William Sherman. And, yeah. and so I, I just, you know, I, I don't think it's it, it's it's positive. I think I think, again, the flag issue, making sure that we don't have flags flying over state building is the appropriate public policy. Past that, um, someone will there will always be someone that wants to rewrite history in a political correctness crowd. Yeah. And I don't think it does as good. I don't know where it's headed. Uh, I, I don't think that, that, that it's something that we ought to, Listen, to be down going. Until we identify as Americans, all of us, until we are able to recognize what's happening in our own houses and then be able to sit and talk about how we together can make our communities better, I don't really participate in any of it. Until we start talking on those levels, all of it is just a block material for the news because we're not really i sat yesterday scott with a reporter talking about elbert guillory's ad uh where he used the n-word in an ad apparently attributing a quote to lyndon johnson and i told the reporter it worked <laughs> what they were doing is getting on television he wanted wanted you guys to talk about him and here you are sitting in my office with your big expensive camera it worked the the dis- kids don't care millennials only care about what kind of phone they can get their hands on. They, they mix, they mingle, and I think it's beautiful. At the end of the day, until we can talk about how we as Americans can make our communities better, the conversation is just, it's a waste of time. So I just ignore them all. Well, that's probably pretty smart. It starts with personal responsibility, yeah. and I like what you're saying about the house. Look, you know, um, you, you know some folks start down, down the race uh, uh, ahead of other folks, you mm-hmm. know, I, I was very fortunate. You know, I say every every day, I'm very very thankful that the biggest, most important thing that ever happens in someone's life is the set of parents that they're born to. Oh yeah. And yet we have no input into that decision. Right. So I I get the fact that that I had a stable, traditional, loving mom and dad that taught me how to pray and taught me how to work. Not everybody has that opportunity. Mm-hmm. But even though you don't have that opportunity, you don't start at that spot, you've got a duty and an obligation, and I've got a duty and obligation sure. to help you, but you've got to get to a point where you understand that you are responsible for you. You are responsible for your own destiny. I'm not saying that discrimination, discrimination and racism and all those things don't exist. I think we would both agree that there are Absolutely. people who have screwed up think ways of thinking. It does go on. But I don't think it's the majority of cases. And I really believe that the majority of people are decent and all they want to do is take care of their homes and their families and their friends and their communities. And just whenever we get ready for something serious in terms of a serious discussion, then I'll tune in. Otherwise, I just got too much other stuff to do. Well, good for you. How much uh, how can people reach you if they want to learn more about your candidacy? So you got to love this. Our website is www.go. And we spelling go the right way. G-E-A-U-X. <laughs> right. Go on That's, that's the only way to that's spell the it. only way to spell you, it. you know, and, and I'm, I'm so impressed that, that that I see that word go across all Louisiana. And uh, so uh, that's how you reach us on our website. Uh, my cell number is 225-614-5064. I'm available by text. I, I try not to answer the phone when I'm in a meeting, yeah. uh, but certainly by from a, from a text standpoint, we'll get back with you. And look, I, I, we, we've got some exciting things. Uh, you know, uh, today, uh, the East Baton Rouge Parish Republican Party is going to announce that they endorse our candidacy for, for governor. Uh, you know, uh, that's, I think, uh, says something that 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 i could come into it's this a pretty big election. deal with darden come. being from here they're going to endorse both of you or you're going to get the endorsement well i think they're going to endorse two of us and i know i'm one of them oh, so wow. we'll, we'll, we'll we'll leave to 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 to, to those uh, folks to decide how they're doing that uh and you know i feel strong about that we, we we're going through every parish and look i don't believe washington 
ought to control Louisiana's destiny any more than I think Baton Rouge ought to control the destiny of our 64 parishes and our 303 communities. I right. do want to talk about transportation for just a second, sure. if I could. Sure, it's, sure. A, it's a big, big issue. Yes, it is. You know, it's amazing to me that it's the most bipartisan issue we have. Mm -hmm. You know, often the children of Republicans and Democrats and independents don't go to school together. Mm -hmm. And often on Sunday, folks who are independent or Democrat or Republican don't worship together. Mm -hmm. But we all absolutely use the same road. No question. There is no Republican exit, right? No, no Democrat no. exit. There's no D in front of the pothole no. or R in front of the pothole. And yet the businessman or businesswoman who's stuck in traffic trying to close the deal is stuck in the same exact, exact traffic as the single mom with two yeah. babies in the back, yeah. car seats, right? And it's amazing to me that we can't have an adult conversation. One of the reasons that I think we can't have it is because we still have this one-size-fits-all. Look, if Baton Rouge wants to, to its region, its 10-parish region, its 12-parish region, wants through a vote of the people, to, uh, to, to, to raise revenue through a vote of the people and dedicate it to solving issues in East Baton Rouge in the marketplace, they ought to, government, state government ought to unshackle and give local regionals the opportunity to do so. And if in the meantime, folks in my area don't want to do it, that's okay. Mm -hmm. It's not a one-size-fits-all, and we've had this kind of DOTD one-size-fits-all. We need to decentralize it to allow regions to solve some of their own problems. I agree. And until we do that, we're never going to get to a point where we all agree on what we need to do, and then failure is going to be uh, the, 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 the the alternative or the, the option that we end up uh, selecting. So, uh, look, I I don't understand. It's incredible to me that as I cross the Mississippi River Bridge from, from coming from west to east and the interstate 10 system narrows down to one lane, it's the only one-lane interstate in all of America. And we've been talking about it for 20 years the traffic is backed up incredible. Man, you can, And I and yeah, it seems like we just yeah. we put up with it. We do put up with it. And every day I have built so much in having to cross that bridge around what time of the day I got to cross the I-10 bridge. Right. Because depending on what time of day it is, you're going to sit there. You're going to. And it's ridiculous that we've not addressed it. And we, we built the uh, John James Audubon Bridge over there between uh, New Rose and St. Francisville. But the traffic isn't isn't there right. for it. And so now we've got the I-10 bridge that basically is traffic coming from one coast headed to the other. And people want to avoid it through here because they don't want to have to deal with that bottleneck where you go from three lanes to two lanes to one right. lane. It's incredible. We need another bridge over the Mississippi River, perhaps south of uh, Baton Rouge in yeah. some spot and get that traffic that's coming from Texas and L.A. and, and, and New Mexico off of the, the, the downtown areas. Uh, we got to take a look at, at, at toll roads to give people an option to pay a nickel to be able to take a different route. It's worked in Texas. It's worked in, in, in Florida. I don't know if it can, it, it can work here, but we ought to at least put all options on the table. Uh, look, at a certain point in time, I would, I would tell folks, particularly in the Baton Rouge area, that if we don't solve this problem, it's going to be the thing that the next level of economic development decision makers say, I, I can't. I can't be there. I, there's no room for us. Right. You know, how can we come and put up our 500 employees here or our 1,000 employees here? They're going to be so frustrated because they're going to just not have, you know, room to, to maneuver. So I, I think actually our transportation issues, in addition to our workforce development, are the uh, two greatest hurdles that we have uh, to expand our, our economy. And, and I say this uh, occasionally. You know, building roads is not about just building and, and ports. It's not just about moving people and cargo from point A to point B. I think it's also about creating jobs and building jobs in a strong economy. So uh, as a former parish president, I built roads. I get roads. I understand roads. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking forward to, to bringing my passion, my energy to the office in that area. Public Service Commissioner Scott Angel, candidate for Louisiana governor. Thank you, my friend. I Thank appreciate you so it. much. Have you ever wanted to host your own podcast? Coming soon, Play Young Enterprises and Podcast 225 will be giving you your big chance. You'll be able to use professional broadcast equipment to create a podcast that you can be proud of. You'll have an engineer and a professional show open and close. The Clay Young Show is already considered one of the best podcasts in the state. Get the same audio quality and professional packaging for your very own podcast. Stay tuned for more details. 
Your chance to have your own show is coming soon. This is the Clay Young Show on podcast225.com. Very interesting conversation with Public Service Commissioner Scott Angel. As you heard me say in the interview, that was actually my first time meeting him in person. Good conversation. I can tell you sitting and talking with him, he comes across as a really genuine guy, a really good guy. Very, very personable uh, as he was you know, talking to some of my people as he was leaving the building here. And just uh, just really good first impression. I think he's got the best interest of Louisiana at heart. And we'll see what happens going forward in the race. The most important thing that I wanted to accomplish with the interview was to give you an opportunity to hear the way that he thought, the way that he thinks, and hear about some of his ideas for Louisiana. I enjoyed the conversation with Mr. Angel, and we'll see what happens as we move forward, getting closer to the election. And can you believe it? We're just about two months out. Actually, if you count early voting, we're about two months out from the election or inside of two months out from the election for governor. Uh, That and, of course, a list of other elections that will be going on, uh, other statewide seats, legislative seats, Bessie races and the like. So a busy political season on the way, a lot to be repaired in Louisiana in the wake of what's happened over the last couple of years. And I'm sure there'll be a lot to talk about there next week. Richard Condon makes his return and this time he is not going to be alone. Oh, this should be fun. That's next week on The Clay Young Show here on podcast225.com and on iTunes. Hit that subscribe button, tell your friends about us, and we'll see you here next week on podcast225.com. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.